Welcome back to the Performance Pathways podcast with uh, me, Nikki Kirk. So today we decided to do something a little bit different. I'm going to bring on a really good friend of mine, Dr. Nick Studholm, who's based in at Studholm Chiropractic in Denver, Colorado. I've been recently attending a, a course called Functional Neuroorthopedic Rehab, as many of you probably already know, which Nick's been kindly hosting at his, his clinic. Uh, I've known Nick now, I think probably going on, I think I met him in 2011. So we're, we've both now, it's going on seven or eight years. Uh, he's primary, primarily at that time was what, I would, what would be described as a movement-based practitioner, so a, a strong background working with the Gary Institute, has a certification in, in AMIT. Uh, FNOR, et cetera, et cetera. He's a very well-studied guy, very critical guy, uh, particularly dry for an American, I find, but but that's cool. That's probably why I like him. And Nick and I have been working together on a project which aims to bring a lot of the principles that we've we've learned over the past few years to play at the at the professional level of, of professional soccer, football, hockey, and other sports into the really into the performance arena. We're really excited about that. We just thought it would be interesting to bring Nick on to talk about it, given that we've been speaking to people who've already got a model and are already quite well established. Well, well, Nick and I right now are currently going through the process of trying to build this model, build it out, put put flesh around the bones, and then try to take it to market, which is which is a slightly different place to be. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Nick in, and as I said, Nick's a, Nick's a good friend. So if I do insult him, I, I'm sure he'll take it in good humor. Uh, Nick, how are you doing? Hey, Jonah, how are you? I'm well, thanks, and, and and we're mindful the World Cup's on. So so we got Nick for for ten minutes. He's a he's a huge Tunisia fan, I understand, and uh, like I am. So uh, yeah, Nick. In terms of your background, I think probably the salient points we've we've covered there. But just to give it some context, let's talk a bit about your practical experience. Who you um, how how you got into working with professional soccer players. What led you to to do your work at the Colorado Rapids? How that all came about? Just a quick synopsis. Yeah, you know, as you know, Nikki, it's uh, and thank you for the introduction. I'm excited to uh, catch up. As you know, it's never a linear process, and when anyone asks how you get involved in sport, I, I just don't think there's a. You obviously try to chase things you're interested in, but, but there's never any uh, do this and that will get you there. Um, I had taken a Gary Gray course and was uh, introduced to a few Brits. Uh, who had a teaching uh, sort of certification, and they, they they asked if I wouldn't mind teaching to their group, and I, and I did that. And one of the attendees was doing some strength training with a couple of the uh, lower level players, I think, in League One and the Championship. Ultimately, he came across a problem about a year or two later that he felt I could help with, and uh, I consulted on the problem. It was a foot problem. We were able to, in, in about seven days, we were able to get a player playing who hadn't played in six months. And he played 10 straight on the bounce, and the team got promoted to the Premier League. And but from there, I uh, got to know uh, several players and, and uh, you know, be able to consult with them from an injury standpoint. And the humor of that, of course, is although my skill set hadn't changed, some of the doors locally opened up because of who I was working with professionally. So... That, that opened up an opportunity to work at the University of Denver, and they have recently had one of the top college programs in the country, uh, both hockey and soccer. And from that situation, I privately was seeing many of the uh, MLS players for the Rapids, and at some point they decided it was maybe valuable to have them be a part of the team so they could bring some things in-house. And, and, and that really is how that situation grew. Pretty organic and, and pretty remarkable, but... 
funny nonetheless that you know your skill set doesn't change but somehow your value does once you you've worked with a certain caliber of player so that's one of those overnight successes that happens in seven years really because we're going back probably to was it 2012 maybe 2013 when you started doing those courses with um with faster is that right that's it yeah so it was uh you know, it's funny. I remember being actually on a beach in Mexico and getting a phone call from from the trainer saying they got this player. And he, it just made me smile because again, not sure how how to make that happen otherwise, right? Because people have to perceive your value. And it was flattering at the time. And I have to say, there are moments that are like that. You continue to be marvel at the the situation, but it, as you can also, really, the world of sport isn't always a pleasant place to be operating, is it? Have you had any any negative experiences? Anything that thought made you sort of think, I, you know, this just isn't for me. You know, I mean, a, a couple. I think, uh, with, without getting too specific, um, I, I think there's some situations within a training room where, you know, I, as a chiropractor, as you know, we we have a large scope, and some of us choose to practice within that scope. Some want to be more more linear. I've stepped out of my um, sort of just being a back doc and really focus on rehab and movement and. You know, I'm a geek for technology, and and as a result, when I get introduced into certain situations, uh, I think that the rule is that you as team, you just need to adjust C6. And I've been in a few of those situations, a bit disappointing because uh, knowing I can bring a lot more to the table. And then, frankly, sometimes just working with players and and sensing that. Oddly enough, uh, maybe they just don't want to put in the work and get better. And that, that's a real surprise occasion. I think you think anyone at that level would be doing anything to get better. And I think sometimes they've become even disenchanted with the situation. So um, I don't know. I mean, you've been there. What, what sort of things have you had happen that, that uh, have, you, have you experienced anything along those lines? You know, like recent, yeah, recently I felt quite disillusioned. In fact, I had a meeting meeting this morning that, and I haven't told you about this yet because we haven't spoken, but it was it's with a, a local company that's starting up a, a performance-based gym. And uh, I just said to them, I was speculating, I said to them, like, I'd love to meet up with you and chat about what you're doing. No expectations, just interested to meet people in the space. And I met, met with them great, like great people, really open, and, and probably there's some good scope for collaboration there coming down the line. But his his first response to me was, oh, you know, when I when I saw you're a chiropractor, my hackles went up, and and he he's a a sports therapist, which I guess over here would be the equivalent of an athletic trainer by training, but but he's a he's a personal trainer and a strength and conditioning coach, and he didn't mean anything by it. It was it was just his gut reaction. He was being honest and authentic, and yeah, that that that's kind of like a kick in the nuts because it's like whoa. This this is the perception of of the profession. So when I'm reaching out, this is people's this is people's first thought was here we go, and and I wonder well where does that come from? Because I know such good people in the, in this in the space and in the profession, and I can't imagine any of them would give off the type of impression that would make people not want to meet with somebody without even knowing who they were in the first instance. But it comes down to like in this this like ridiculous rivalry, like like Pete was talking about my last um, last podcast about this sort of interprofessional bickering and i love your expression of technique grab you know the over overnight cognitive behavioral therapist and and that sort of carry on yeah i'm i'm, I'm trying to write like truly trying to rise above it and trying to encourage people to rise above it because because it is it is frustrating and it, it reminds you that yeah you are in a minority profession and, and in some respects we are swimming up river so yeah for me that's probably been 
something that I've been maybe trying to confront with a bit more maturity, but it still, yeah, still, still hurts when somebody tells you that about your profession because you, we, we also are in some ways what we do, but we can only try to try to work against that. Well, and, and you know, from working in a in a club environment, which we, which we both had that opportunity, there's a lot of egos there, and sometimes the that what's best for the player is not actually the center of the discussion. It's really the ego of whoever the therapist is. Uh, and we've all been guilty of that, but it's, it is interesting to watch that play out in a, in a training room when really you think that the idea is here, we're all working together for the, the improvement of the situation. And yet many times it's, it's driven by the individual or the therapist. And that's, it's disappointing. I, I, I think coming at it from chiropractors, We've always sort of been slightly on the outskirts and wanting in, and so we've been happy with being the guys that just adjust. Or, but uh, as you and I both, I think, feel similarly, that's that's really undervalues what our what our capability is. And uh, so hopefully, you know, we can continue to. It's also why I think we we sort of discuss this this model we're talking about today, which is can we sort of independent of the club, see these players for a period of time to, to help enhance their training so that we're able to maybe maximize some of the stuff that we're capable of that the club won't allow us to do, right? Yeah, so, I mean, basically what we're, what we're aiming to do, and I'll, I'll use my words and then I'll, I'll use Nick, let Nick use his, uh, maybe we have different ways of communicating it, but, but what we see is, a, is an opportunity for, for priming. So not something which necessarily is going to happen during the season, but, but when we are able to work with these athletes and these players in the, in the lead up to their preseason, we can actually get a hold of them and, and work with them in, a, in a, almost a model where we're layering input on top of input, but starting with a brain-based approach. So actually looking at their, their ability to, to perform some of the most basic functions of, of control and movement and coordination before then stacking on top of that, following maybe more of a, a what would be seen as a traditional strength and conditioning model, but basing it very firmly on the on the principles of neurology and the principles of of adaptation to to the responses we're trying to give them. So that's probably my my sort of fancy way of, of going about it. Benick, do you want to try and put that in layman's terms? Well, I don't. I, yeah. you know, it's interesting because I think uh, maybe I'll give an example. Of, of, but my experience has been uh, when I get an opportunity to consult with some of these players, and, and occasionally I'll see them for uh, a week. We're many times. Part of that is because in the club environment, they're just putting out fires so much. They don't get a chance to look a little deeper. Uh, but some of these players are playing with chronic injuries or not seeing a change. And, and like you said, Nikki, I think there's a, an opportunity to, to base it around a model that, that includes, obviously everything includes the nervous system, but based around a model that actually is very specific to certain nervous system things that maybe are getting overlooked. I know we, this is from an injury standpoint, but we, you had the opportunity with me to meet a player who we were consulting with in, in Holland who um, had had a head injury and was having chronic pubic bone pain. They've done just about everything. In fact, they were considering surgery and injections, pubalgia, which strikes a lot of these hockey and soccer players. And uh, what we realized is he was having some eye issue problems. And when those were actually cleared up, he had almost complete resolution of his pain. And it was sort of interesting to think about these central mechanisms that aren't being addressed and that we're planning to address as well as and can really help with performance long. So did I just complicate it? <laughs> I don't think I... I'm, I'm much clearer on it now than, than I ever was. So, yeah, I think, I think that's 
where we're at with this. So our, our, our plan at the moment is, so, so now we have to go through this process where we have to, we have to, initially we had to define the model. So we had to look at what, 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 what did we know or to be as true as possible, which we've, we've had to make a very, take a very structured approach, which we've, we've drawn from, from one or two sources in particular. We've had to look at maybe what's speculative and, and throw that away. So certainly both of us have been through a number of different technologies and things which we thought might have been the answer. And, and further down the line, we realized it's, it's not. And we're really refining and refining and refining until we get something which is just a very compact, informative, intensive model that we can that we can roll out. So, so our next stage with the program really is to go out and start reaching out to the to the players, to the players' influencers, and to the decision makers, which is also a different process. And we're we're also learning about that in in the business sense. Absolutely, and, you know, I think uh, I, I do think there's a lot of well, you and I. It's, it's funny because of the circuit we've been on, but it seems like everything. Everyone's doing similar stuff, and you realize that it's just a small portion that is going to be involved in it. But, um, but again, I think what gets overlooked really are these athletes who have these injuries that, that aren't responsive and, and they just don't know where to turn. And uh, resources just, there aren't great resources for them. And, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to provide that and, and a meaningful approach to it, as well as, like you said, taking, taking modern. Uh, technology to assess and, and create create programs, as well as you know looking at long term. Although it's not a performance based model, the idea that as you work with somebody, you can look at certain metrics, and and if you improve those metrics over a week, but there's still room to go, as you check in over a season, you can continue to modify the the approach accordingly. So again, I I think we all know from from private conversations that constantly hearing from athletes reaching out who are struggling with a problem that, that isn't getting resolved in the club. I think the real trick is to figure out how not to be a thorn in the club side, but an asset to the club. And I think that's going to come down to, again, operating from a, a place of inclusivity, right? And a lot of that is, yeah, is, is relationship building and relationship management also, and recognizing that there's there's visible players i mean not not the players on the field themselves but in in the whole spectrum of things there's there's visible players people that you know are in and around but there's also invisible players and influencers that that you don't know what messages they're giving and you don't you don't know what um who's sitting on the player's shoulder telling them what uh other people they go and see i mean you know there's a number number of instances where a player will will pick up and, and go off and see somebody that that's not you and they don't tell you, but not that they need your permission, but they don't tell you about it, and that's fine too. I mean, that's people are people are within their rights to do that. And it doesn't mean to say that what you did wasn't good or it wasn't useful to them, because in the end, they may you may be their resource for for X, Y, and Z, but it might just be that the other person was was more convenient at the time. But it, but I think we try to look for maybe too deep of a meaning in these types of circumstances as well. Absolutely, I think it's it, you know it goes back to. Actually, getting getting our and we can't help it. I mean, an ego allows us to function well, but getting our egos a little bit too tied up in, in the outcome at times, and and wanting it to be about us when when the reality is there, there are a lot of variables, and um, some of that is um, you know I've had the experience of, of with some of these these, these players where you um, turn up for a visit and they've decided that they're just tired and want to take a nap and they didn't they really have the uh, the energy to call you for it, or you were 15 minutes away and that's too far. You know? And so it's funny what, what, what are, what are the variables that, that, that affect things? So 
Um, I know that's sort of a sidetrack, but it's just interesting when working with this demographic that there, there's a lot to consider. And, uh, it's all exciting, but it, it's just different than your uh, everyday demographic. They get told what to do most of the time. So when they're asked to do something out of their, their you know, they just assume what's going on in the club is, is the right thing. And it very well may be, but, it, but at times I think the club is limited as well. And I think, I think ultimately, yeah, outside of the maybe the big four in England, um, and maybe some of the big big clubs in, in Spain and Italy. I mean, most clubs, I think, actually are, are under-resourced to to deal with the players in the way that they, they probably need to. And they just haven't upgraded with the with the change in, in culture and football, with the change in professionalism. Uh, I, I know that I, I saw somebody, I saw Tom Allen from, I think as a sport scientist at Arsenal speak recently, and he showed, a, he showed a picture of the Arsenal squad with the technical staff from, I think, 1986. I had like John Lukic and... George Graham and, and that crowd, and then he showed showed from last season, and I think there was there was, I wouldn't be exaggerating to say there's literally five times more technical staff, or maybe even ten times more technical staff than there was in in 1990. But but that's a, I would say that's exceptional. I don't I don't think that's the rule. I still think that outside of the top four, a lot a lot of these clubs just if they get a a large influx of injuries or something changes or they hit a bit of congestion fi- uh, fixture congestion, they they just can't deal with with all the players to the level that they need, and all of these players are demanding, right? Like none of them, none of them are less important than the other in their head. Although the club has obviously a hierarchy because there's people they want to have on the field that are more important to the outcomes than than others. So, so it sort of leaves some of these guys sidelined. I think. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's interesting. I think um, we talked a lot about about it. I think at some point it'll be interesting. The club chooses to maybe. Up their, their annual budget for their med staff and uh, and see what they, see who they can uh, maybe bait to come work for a club because currently you know when you can make more product in those environments it's not a great incentive especially now uh, and then moreover I mean I you know I can speak to my exposure points uh, many times you have sometimes one one athletic trainer or assistant or two. You have twenty some odd guys, and, and it's just not manageable with the resources uh, minus some of the big clubs. So, you know, what, what do you expect them to be capable of? And it goes back to this idea of if you wanted to be, for example, the head head physio at Kansas City or something, and um, and you were, and and somehow they posted a job. You know that there's maybe a thousand other people that job and they'd be willing to take it for 10 pounds less right so how do you how do you incentivize you know people to stay or pay them well it's a fascinating thing but unfortunately the players are what's who suffer right exactly and i also also have a strong suspicion that when a when a job like that's advertised they're they already know who they're going to point it's just a it's just a formality that they put out there would be would be would be my impression for the most part but but yeah so look just to close things out we wanted to keep it keep it brief because uh we obviously are just simply wanted to come on and, and talk a little bit about what we're going through and experiencing at the moment as a as a slight break from the regular content so right now we are very close to having a final product ready for launch so what would be an ideal outcome for you in the next six months to 12 months yeah for me well you know i think an ideal outcome in the next six months is to be able to uh uh, beyond beyond currently, sort of who who we've been running this through uh, is to be able to to 
run 10 to 20 players uh, through through our program. Um, and, and so looking forward to unresponsive injuries to rehab for their injuries or currently struggling with something that, that has been going on long term and sort of don't know where else to turn. So hoping to be able to uh, attract enough so that we can um, start to really uh, get a, uh, which we know we sort of indirectly have a proof of concept, but to really lay that out. So for me in the next six months, if we can see 10 to 20 guys go through this, I'd, I'd be pretty excited. I would agree. I would be extremely happy. And I think that would represent some really good progress for, for a program like this, which which in our spaces would be would be pretty unique at the moment. There's not, not a lot of other people doing it. We uh, we feel like the time's probably right to step into that space. So uh, thanks for thanks for coming on and just uh, sharing some of your thoughts with us. It's appreciated, and I will chat to you soon, buddy. Absolutely, Nick. Yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, and I hope if, if I may selfishly uh, uh, say something for just a second, you know, I hope that anyone listening. If, you know, if they're interested in, in the idea, they have some athletes they want to consult with, or, or even just talk to me or you about. I mean, you know, the idea is to create the community, right? So, and that's what's so neat about a podcast like that. So, hopefully, uh, you know, we're able to grow. If nothing else, the community of resources is this. Is this is international? It's not just uh, Denver, right, or Scotland. But, so that's that's what's exciting. Appreciate you having me on, as always. So thank you for listening to this Pathways to Performance podcast. We hope that you find this episode engaging and as interesting as we did. Join us next time as we continue to explore the journeys of other high-performance practitioners in elite sport. 